0: Hi, I'm Mickey Lowe.
1: Hi, I'm Bishop Todd. And welcome, welcome to, to the C4SO, C4SO Podcast.
0: Podcast. Well, welcome back, everyone, to the C4SO Podcast. I am here by myself in light of this amazing episode with our friend Marty Reardon. Bishop Todd was so inspired that he just decided to like go on tour, start a band, and leave us <laughs> <laughs> or leave me to do this introduction. He was just so inspired by music and worship for Advent that he just decided to hit the road. Just kidding, guys. He's not, he's not in a band, um, although that would be very awesome. I am here to introduce today's episode with, like I said, Marty Reardon, who is the worship director at Trinity Atlanta. So we just kind of get to know him a little bit, talk about some fun early memories of his interaction with music, with worship leading, uh, his calling, and then really get to talk about worship leading and and the creativity that comes during this time of year. And so we just talk with him about some practical things in his church and in his vocation uh, for the season of Advent. So please enjoy this conversation with our friend Marty.
1: Right. Well, I don't know how to feel about this episode exactly because we have Marty Reardon with us here today. And, I, Marty, how long have we known each other? Uh, 12 years? More? I can't um, remember.
2: Yeah, defining known is the question. I think I saw you uh, speak yeah. at the Atlanta Vineyard back in probably 99. Oh, that's old school. Wow. That's yeah, really yeah. old school. You guys go way back. Yeah. I was going to say, we didn't meet, though, until uh, I believe it was probably 2010? Yeah, I was thinking nine or ten. at a winter conference or something, I believe. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah. So anyway, I was going to say, I don't know how to feel about this podcast, because on the one hand, you're just meeting Mickey, but on the other hand, you're both worship leaders. So I don't know, like, (laughs) do I just sort of bow out and let the worship leaders take over? No, you're a musician too, Bishop Well, that's using the term loosely, but thank you so much. You have a Fender Rhodes in the works. Yes, thanks to some really great, generous people. (laughs) I got a, a it's a 1978 Fender Rhodes that's getting completely reconditioned inside and out. I can't wait. Beautiful.
2: Beautiful. Gotta We're get my,
1: for I got to get my chops back down again though before I play in front of Mickey.
0: Well, we're excited for you, Bishop Todd, and we can't wait to hear whatever record you put out after. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's what we do here in
1: Nashville. We put out records.
0: Exactly, exactly. (laughs) Well, Marty, we're so glad to have you on with us today. And, you know, this is a part of our Advent series. And so we would just love your take on. On Advent, as a worship leader, as a songwriter, anything and everything having to do with music and worship. So, it felt right to begin this interview with asking you some fun questions about right. uh, your your music history. Can you please tell us what was your first instrument, and maybe what's your favorite instrument to play?
2: I grew up in a musical family, and oh, uh, my cool. dad was like a professional
1: drummer. musicians. No, no, um, just cash um, amateurs kind of it was like we were the
2: wannabe christian partridge family okay
1: <laughs> ah, and nice. so
2: so yeah that
1: was a thing but okay <laughs>
2: oh yeah oh yeah growing up in the late 70s eight, early 80s um yeah my mm-hmm. my mother played piano everybody oh. in the family sings and my father played drums so i quickly uh just i love the drums i just adapted to the drums uh, so that was my okay. first okay. instrument Uh, And my parents at the time were heavily involved in church. So whatever church we were a part of, they were heavily involved in in music, whether it was choir or something like that. So Mm. yeah, drums, drums. I started playing drums. I think the first time I played in a church, I was probably about six and I played drums and I just stuck with it and love it. It's still, I don't know if it's my favorite instrument to play, but it is definitely um, the easiest Mm. for me.
1: What about yeah. listening? What's your favorite instrument to listen to? Like, do you like sax or jazz oh, piano, like my or to to. searing it's guitar licks, me. or what?
2: Honestly, my favorite instrument to listen to is the clarinet.
1: Oh, oh right. on. you got to tell us about no. that. Yeah, tell no, us more. Like,
2: like like a like a haunting, jazzy clarinet. There's just a uh, there's a warmth yeah. to the reeds. Nice. Uh, and I would say like Tom Waits does that really well on a lot of his mm-hmm. stuff. It's just really kind of dark and melancholy uh, and uh, warm. So you, got some,
1: you got a little jazz in you. I didn't realize. Oh,
2: I can't play it worth a lick. I bought a clarinet. <laughs> Me
0: either. I wish.
2: It's, that's actual music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I bought a clarinet yeah. at a yard sale and kind of noodled around with it uh, <laughs> until oh, cool. it broke. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I think the clarinet and then maybe second would be the cello. I mean, who doesn't love just the warmth? I think I like warmth, warmth in it. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I love cello too. Here.
0: That's awesome. No, those yeah. are great. So, you know, Bishop Todd and I were, as we were prepping for this, we were wondering, you know, as someone who's musically inclined as a worship leader, what was your first memory of sort of meeting the Lord through music? Cause you know, that's just such a yeah. It can be a really formative experience. So tell us about that, if you can think of it.
2: Well, I grew up in the church, and I always had this just innate, just draw towards Jesus. I just loved Jesus. I, I mm-hmm. My mom, uh, when I was very young, did the felt board Sunday school thing, you know, yeah. when you're like, four, yeah, five, yeah. I just fell in love with Jesus. And I also fell in love with music. And so for me, it just felt like, well, if these two loves can come together, then that would be perfect. So Early on, I always wanted to be a part of just church music. Um, mm. I, you know, growing up, I, I got—I I, kind of gave my heart to the Lord. I remember it was red carpet, white spindles at the altar at this Baptist church, mm. and yeah, I mm. just—I got baptized there and that church, their expression of music was more, uh, you know, choral. And then we left the Baptist church and went into the deep end of the, uh, assemblies of God, uh, Pentecostalism. And so that was way more emotive. And so I really fell in love with, um, any type of worship expression that could emote the passion uh, that I felt in my heart. So uh, I don't, at a young age, I don't remember one particular thing. Um, but I do remember just the the kind of whole, like all of the water I was swimming in when we would go to church or we'd go to camp meetings or all those types of things. I just really loved any music that caused me to feel like the music was expressing the passion that I was feeling deep in my heart. That really came to bear, um, honestly, when I discovered vineyard music uh, early, my freshman uh, yeah. year of college. Um, I was like, oh, oh, this is really um, – This is really emotive and really beautiful uh, and not just full of a lot of theology. Even though there's good theology, it actually tapped into the heart. So
0: yeah, um, yeah.
2: Once I discovered that in college, it was like uh, it was off to the races for me uh, when it came to songwriting and learning mm-hmm. those songs, uh, which fortunately in the early vineyard days, you know, it's just three chords. It's pretty easy. So, yeah,
1: um, yeah, <laughs> maybe a maybe a minor fourth, but yeah. maybe a minor. fourth.
2: But what it yeah. did for me is it made it accessible. So I love yeah. how accessible sure. that music was. So.
0: so kind of in that vein, tell us a little bit about you know, you, you sensing a call to being a worship leader, you know, not just being a participant in, uh, worship music or being involved in church, but how did you sort of discern that call to become a worship leader and director and, you know, this, this role that you're in right now. So you're the worship pastor at Trinity Atlanta.
2: i probably the way it happens for everybody, but it happened through uh, community and relationships. So I would growing up mm-hmm. in the, in the youth group, there was opportunity to, um, We had a youth band, so I played drums in the youth band, and I was 16, and there was this young lady that I wanted to impress, and so I said, well, I got to learn the guitar, so
1: I found it. I thought you were going to say Naturally. bass. I thought you are going to say bass. Isn't it no. always the bass player? No,
2: the bass. The ba- <laughs> I love bass. Um, they're the glue. They're the mortar. But yeah. nobody looks at yeah. Austin and says, check out that mortar. But we need them, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: They're underappreciated for sure. But
2: <laughs> they are. They are. No, it's, it's, it's just kind of silly. It's the typical high school things like, oh, well, if That's I learn so guitar, funny. that'll, that'll impress yeah. the ladies. Totally. Um,
1: but I, I learned I gotta, guitar. I got to front this band, right? <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> right, I'm right. Of
1: <laughs> 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 so i I learned, uh, I
2: learned a few chords uh, and a neighborhood kid taught me some chords and um, had my youth leader played guitar. And so it was just kind of uh, all of my friends, everybody was just learning instruments as high schoolers. And we just, it seemed mm-hmm. like we were kind of teaching one another music and we all loved worship and we all love Jesus. And so there was always opportunity um, every week to play with the worship team. The discernment for, for the, uh, if I was called really for me, it was never a question. It's kind of weird. Like people go, how yeah. did you do a that?" question? Yeah. I'm like, I, yeah,
1: it never yeah. felt
2: like a question for me. It always felt like what I was supposed to do. So it's not a helpful okay. story for people that are trying to ask the questions. I just yeah, had a conviction no, that at an early age, this is what I was made for. Um, hmm. And of course I didn't, you know, I had corporate jobs and did a lot of other things before becoming a full-time, but I knew whether I had a corporate job or, you know, flipped burgers i was always going to be you were still involved in... yeah worship mm-hmm. leading for yeah. me was no was it wasn't necessarily something that had to be paid but it was a vocation it was a calling that i yeah, felt
1: sure totally
2: about. so yeah so
1: Praise i hear God. you saying that in a positive way sometimes when we say oh this is that person's identity we mean it negatively but i feel like you you're saying that since you're a boy it's just been kind of a part of your assumed self let's put it that way like
2: Absolutely. Like this is just Absolutely. who you were. Yeah. Mm. It, I, I didn't know anything else. That was all yeah. I, yeah. that's all I wanted to do. Um, and I yeah. was in, yeah. I was in metal bands in high school and, you know, we were Christians and I, I, you know, it's like, whatever we did, it was like, I don't care. The, the genre of music didn't matter. We were just loving Jesus and loving music. And so for me, that was mm. the idea of if we can get people to engage with the music that we're playing,
1: that's beautiful. That's worship. So, yeah, Vicki, mm, yeah. you got to get had- Marty and Travis together, do some headbanging.
0: I was just thinking, you know, my husband <laughs> has a very similar story. He He's, you know, a pastor now has been a pastor for years, but he started uh, his ministry first being a janitor and then he was a, a student ministry coordinator and then he was a student ministry worship leader and he did that for a long time um he's just very gifted as a worship leader but throughout his whole ministerial you know vocation he's played in punk bands hardcore bands still in these (laughs) bands and it's just so funny because he's the priest that's in uh, metal bands right and so it's really Uh, fun but that's always been a part of who he is in his ministry too yeah um so i love that i yeah Yeah. i think it's great
2: We'll have to meet one day and form our own little, uh, yeah, a
1: little C4SO yeah. metal, metal yeah, band. Metal
0: for the sake of others,
1: yeah. Was, <laughs> oh, Mickey, nicely done, <laughs> yeah, nicely yeah, done. yeah, Metal oh. for the sake of others, yeah. Metal yes. for the sake of others, yeah. We'll get started right. playing the Cinder play Rhodes on it, exactly. No, not, not in Bishop a metal Todd, band, come on. that doesn't work. <laughs> <laughs> you, need a, you need a screaming synth or something, yeah. All right, Marty, Priest, just, just before we get into the, um, the particularly Advent stuff, I want our audience to just know a bit about why we've had you on the podcast today. So just describe the work you do, please, at Trinity Atlanta. What, what's it mean to have your role there? So as people listen, they'll they'll understand the context from which you're speaking.
2: Sure. Sure. My title is Worship Pastor. Um, I'm on the senior leadership team, which there are five of us that govern uh, really the mission and vision of the church. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we have a vestry and uh, we also have a ministry leadership team. Um, my role is one to help continue to foster and grow our expression of worship. Um, Mm -hmm. and I don't mean that simply just on Sundays, but our experience of worship, everything from our liturgy to the songs we sing to following the church year, the special services we may put on, Mm -hmm. um, as well as resourcing our people. Um, it, worship isn't just, you know, something that happens on Sunday. It's, 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 it is the totality of what happens. There's the, the scripture readings, there's the prayers, there's the table, all of that is the act of worship. And we also want to, at least I want to here at Trinity, resource our people to engage in uh, active worship day to day in their lives uh, yeah. through corporate and personal worship. So um, yeah. that is, that's my vision here. Well,
1: you alluded to a moment ago that you and I and Chris McDaniel, your uh, rector, uh, all, and maybe others at Trinity, I forget, come out of the vineyard movement. So as we get into Advent here, tell us a bit about when you were a new Anglican. How did you grow in your understanding and come to appreciate Advent when it seemed new to you, when it was a new idea? Sure. Yeah, for
2: me, my journey into Anglicanism Uh, And I would say probably for our leadership team at that time as a whole was uh, one of being young leaders, young church planners, realizing we had limits and we weren't able, like we had just a lot of young people at our church and the need um, for some type of structure became pretty evident uh, pretty quickly. And we had, uh, Chris had spent some time, Chris McDaniel had spent some time in England and was given a book of common prayer and he early on just said, I'm, I'm kind of out of sermon ideas. Uh, I'm going to teach out of this book of common prayer thing, which I said, Oh, so you guys
1: started using the lectionary. Right. We started yeah. using yeah. the lectionary
2: and we were like, well, don't tell anybody. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. It was like, we don't know what people are going to say. Um, it felt a little weird coming from a, you know, kind of a free form charismatic expression yeah. thing that was so structured. And, we found a lot of life in it, and we said, oh, well, what is this church year thing? So um, mm. Chris has used the analogy, and I think it's a very good analogy, is it was like a bunch of kids finding their dad's golf clubs in the garage.
1: Yeah, mm. We're out
2: there you yeah. know, hacking away at balls and having fun, but we didn't, have any, we didn't really know how to play the game, but we knew we enjoyed it. So uh, yeah, my personal journey into that was just one of saying, as a young as a young minister, as a young father, like I need structure, and the the BCP, the lectionary, and the church year begin to provide that structure for us. Mm. And so yeah. it wasn't it wasn't something where we were necessarily feeling like we were getting straight A's on ministry. And what's this other thing we can add on? It felt almost for me like I'm feeling a little um, fallow. In my ministry uh-huh. and the church year really in the BCP, mm. the lectionary, all of that daily office yeah. felt like, um, it, it kind of felt like water to a very thirsty soul.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's lovely.
2: Cause it's, I know a lot of people can tend to, at least in my conversations I've had over the years, people can tend to think that it's restrictive or it's, you know, uh, and sure, for me, sure. I, I found it to be freeing. I found it to be the exact opposite. Um, mm. that structure was life-giving to me.
0: mm yeah, thank you for sharing that, because I think yeah. that's been my experience, too, since <clears throat> becoming an Anglican. It really has been uh, freeing and sort of enabling to dive really deep into history and scripture and tradition. So, Marty, we'd love to ask, you know, what what has the season of Advent meant for you personally?
2: I have ADD, and so I'm like I, the hyperactive kind. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> So for me, um, Advent and the church here as a whole has been kind of a, a really systematic way of pumping the brakes.
0: Ah, sure.
2: I get the stores. Like right now, there's already Christmas stuff out. We're seeing Christmas right. commercials before Halloween even happened this week. Right. So I get that. I'm like, oh yeah, well, it's Halloween. Let's go to the next thing. Oh, it's Thanksgiving. now. It's Christmas. So mm-hmm. for me, the, um, the intentionality and the unhurried pace of Advent uh, has been life-giving and equally challenging to me, mm-hmm. uh, on a, at a real personal level. Um, I just want, I love Christmas. It's my favorite time of the year. I'm very sentimental. And so mm-hmm. it's very easy to just keep it at a sentimentality level, um, to keep it at a level that just kind of is, you know, all of the Christmas classics and white Christmas and blue Christmas, yeah. and then it all just feels good. It feels, you know, beautiful and yet can be, um, completely separate from what Advent really is as a church, as as a church year observation. And so for me, uh, yeah, it's it's a pumping of the brakes. It's a slowing down. It's forcing me to be unhurried uh, and also to um, embrace uh, in my education, just kind of really understanding that Advent, it is almost akin to a Lent experience. Mm-hmm. Um, the people sitting in darkness have seen a great light and yet we want to move to the great light. I know I want to move to the great light, I don't, yeah. I, but it forces right. me to go, well, there is darkness. There is, mm-hmm. there is heaviness. Um, and it's not as long as Lent as we know, but it, it forces me to face the darkness. I mean, going all the way back, what, what was it like before the birth of Christ? That kind of, right. Silence of the prophets and yeah. four hundred years of nothing. Oh my goodness! And so, uh, for me personally, it's like okay, let's slow down. Let's face this darkness. It's uncomfortable. It's not fun. And yet, we can say that God's present with us in the midst of it. And then, when Christmas comes, that Emmanuel is that much more powerful to me. Yeah, to right. realize, oh, okay, I it wasn't just a, a week or a day. Like these seasons really force us to sit. I believe with the full spectrum of the human experience, emotions and and all. So,
1: yeah. So Marty, as you know, lots of people in our audience will be newish Anglicans, you know, in the last five or 10 years or something, whether they're leaders or lay people. So thinking, having that audience in your heart, what was it like for you and Trinity as you started trying to introduce seasons like Advent, you know, Mm. this sort of distinctively Anglican way of looking at the church here, What was that like kind of needing that into the culture of Trinity?
2: Well, it was, I felt a real grace from the Lord in it. I think all of us as a leadership team felt a real grace because, um, we ourselves were not cradle Anglicans. So we, we were learning right along with the church. Yeah. We were, we were out a little ahead of them because we would plan these things, but we, um, we saw it all as an invitation. So instead Mm -hmm. of saying, this is the,
1: this is Lent or this is Easter,
2: this is Advent, um,
1: Oh, that's beautiful. You should say more about that, that it wasn't something imposed on you, but felt like an invitation. Say a bit more about that.
2: Yeah, so the idea of we are a church that follow the church year, and we want to invite you to join in that with us. Mm. And so when you come on Sundays, or you join our classes, or perhaps go to an Advent morning prayer, all of those are invitations. They're not compulsory. And so if it's new for you, or it's not maybe new, but just disorienting for you Um, Mm -hmm. know that it's not something we want to impose on you. It's something that we want to invite you in because we as a leadership team see the richness and the beauty of being intentional with these seasons. And so any, anything that we do at Trinity, uh, one of the things that I have really appreciated about our leadership team has uh, we used early on when we made the transition, we just we knew it was an experiment. We're going to experiment with Lent. We're going to experiment with Advent because the last thing uh, people want to do is be experimented upon.
1: So we Mm. just said,
2: we're going to experiment together. We're going to, we're going to find our way through this together and we're going to learn what it means to be, um, people of Advent or people of Easter. Uh, We're going to be Advent people. We're going to be Epiphany people. And so it was always, uh, not an outs, not like an insider inviting outsiders, but more of, Mm -hmm. Hey, we're all, we're all on this journey together. Mm -hmm. Um, and I believe that that still carries the day. We, we have more conviction now about why the church year and why certain liturgical, uh, components and movements matter. And yet we also recognize that a lot of people coming through our doors, uh, are unchurched or grew up in a completely different tradition uh, where the church year, the lectionary, all of that can be very foreign. So what we do is we always explain the why behind the what that's how we came to appreciate it ourselves is, Oh, there's, there's yeah. a real meaningful uh, mm-hmm. purpose behind this. So if people understand why we're doing something uh, I believe uh, from my experience, they're more engage- uh, willing to engage with it, even if it's a little awkward, um, we, we don't want to ever moralize, uh, the liturgy or the church year. Uh, we don't want to create outsider, insider language. And so we're always careful to invite people. Hey, we want to invite you in on this. So it feels like a hosp- hospitable thing to
1: do. Yeah. Mm, yeah, it does. That's really good.
0: Yeah. So thinking about Advent as a worship leader, worship director, pastor, um, you know, there are some distinctions about the Advent season, um, you know. Distinct from the rest of the church calendar, right? Yeah. So we sort of shift the way we think about songs. We shift the way that we think about worship. What are your goals? What are your hopes with some of these changes that we make during the time of Advent? Like, what do you hope will happen with your congregation, or what are what are some of the hopes and goals in uh, teaching through these themes of Advent?
2: Yeah, great question. I I honestly would love for um, our community and our church to experience what I continue to experience with each change of the church year. And that's the unhurried intentionality of mm-hmm. sitting in the space, whether it's a yeah. space of repentance and lament, or it's a space of, for Advent, waiting. What does it look like to wait? We are not a people who wait. Um, yeah. What does it look like in Easter to celebrate? So, I, for me, the church year is countercultural. So, my hope really? is that we are able through the the small things like changing the the, the table linen to purple or mm-hmm. uh, changing the songs we sing. It's all to help our people understand this is the emphasis. This is the hope of this particular season we're in. And so, for Advent, what does it look like to be a people who wait? What does it look like to be a people who can sit in uncertainty? and know that they're good uh, and safe in God's kingdom, as you say so often, Todd. That, that would be my hope, uh, because I need that. I need that constant reminder that uh, I'm a person sitting in darkness waiting for the light to dawn, just like uh, people so long ago.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we want to shift now, Marty. Uh, so have in your mind the worship leaders listening, uh, maybe people who serve on the worship team, you know, church staffs, that sort of thing. And let's get in a bit to how you guys do some crafting of uh, Advent. So let's begin on the highest level. How do you collaborate with the rest of the staff to harmonize song selection with teaching and maybe artful things you do or whatever? Just give us a bit of the mechanisms about how you and your team, you know, put on cohesive, you know, so, uh, times of Sunday worship sure uh,
2: we've um, well the first thing is we really trust each other and we love each other um, mm-hmm. so uh, above all, we know that as we enter into a season like Advent um, we're all our hearts are all attuned with the same objective which is to enter the season with intentionality yeah. um, we have uh, a ministry leadership team made up of all of our ministry heads and we we meet um, frequently. And so we will hash out, okay, what is the emphasis? So we'll, we'll, uh, Adrian Christians, she's one of our senior mm-hmm. leadership uh, members and she, alongside Chris, will look at the lectionary and look at the season and say, these are some of the themes that we're kind of seeing come out of it for this year. And so, um, you know, this is the theme and then it'll come to the ministry leadership team. And as we look at our various ministries, we'll just say, okay, well, how, how can we help support that? So that if you are coming to Sunday or you're coming to a class that we might be offering, or you're in the youth group, what does it look like? So that the entire um, spectrum from womb to tomb, everybody is kind of getting that theme happening. And so it feels, um, uh, it used to not be that way. I don't want to make it sound like where we do it perfectly. It used to be kind of, we would all engage in Advent, and it felt cohesive, but I feel like we're really trying now to, um, in our various ministries, underscore um, perhaps the theme of waiting or the theme of anticipation. Um, so at a, at, a, at a large level, we we have conversations about it, which are, though, directly driven by the church year and the lectionary text.
1: Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that reminds me, uh, Marty, of being at Holy Trinity in Costa Mesa for those 10 years, and um, my colleague, Beth Corey. And As I hear you say that, it's like we sit between the lectionary, the congregation, and the world, right? Because every year when Advent rolls around, there's something going on in the world that we probably have to pay attention to. Right. And like sitting in that triangle, again, of the lectionary, the world, and our congregation, out of that, I'm hearing you say, emerges a theme that you all then try to harmonize with.
2: Correct. Correct. Yeah we try not to tack on a theme to the texts because then it just feels weird. We're going to yeah, read right. this text and then talk about something that feels a little, uh, otherly, um, Yeah, because we believe that the value uh, and the tradition that's been handed to us, um, it does have value. It's, it's wonderful to sit with the text that we perhaps heard over and over again throughout our entire lives, because if the word of God is living and active and the spirits at work, he can illuminate uh, that scripture to us no matter how many times we read it. And I think the act of doing that in and of itself is formational to our people.
0: Hmm. How, how does worship change for you and your team? So when you think about planning these services, so I'm thinking just like Sunday morning services, mm-hmm. these worship times, and, and do you change them or shift them to sort of match what we're trying to teach? So, you know, we're thinking vibe, feel the, the environment and the ambiance of what we're sitting in. Does that change for you? And how do you, how do you plan those with your team?
2: Great question. Uh, one one of my mentors, Andy Piercy, years ago said, um, let the songs do the work. And so f- before I change, well, we're going to now do less singing or we're going to change instrumentation. I really want to let this look at the songs and say, all right, these songs can do the work. So we can keep our same instrumentation. We can keep the same feel and vibe. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, when it comes to the church year, the song selection really changes for us. Uh, Some people have come into the church over the years um, and not known we were in Lent. And I've heard this multiple times while that music was really depressing. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah
2: yeah <laughs> it was like well yeah you're thinking about your mortality and your sinfulness that's yeah. there's
0: something to that yeah <laughs>
2: yeah and so for me um it, it it's really the song so i i think about like if there's a if there's a meta song for advent it would be like an "O come O come emmanuel right um yeah. Or young oceans, um, all who hear the type mm-hmm. of songs that call out the reality of Advent, mm. but look towards the hope of Christmas, the coming of Emmanuel. Right. Uh, so yeah, it's it's uh, so in that it's 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 interesting your question. I haven't thought of it, but actually I think it it might be that there's more singing because a lot of those mm. uh, kind of traditional, um, well, we would call them Christmas hymns, but they're really Advent Advent hymns. hymns right. I have a lot of theology. They retell the entire. Uh, story. And there's a lot of words to it, even though the songs themselves shorten, um, sometimes the worship sets might get a little shorter, Mm -hmm. um, but the songs themselves are very robust.
0: Yeah. Uh, They teach us a lot.
2: Yeah. So I let the songs kind of do it and knowing that people are going to, if they want to hear, you know, Frosty the Snowman, or they want to hear something more joyous, they can go get that on their streaming platform somewhere else. But as a church, my hope is to uh, provide that counter narrative, um, and again, I'm not doing it just for them. I need that counter narrative for
1: myself. Yeah, right, right. So I want to underscore this a little bit before we get to uh Mickey's next question. But I want you to say a bit more about um what it means for the songs to do the work, because I think it would be really intuitive for a lot of creative types listening to yeah. this to wonder, well, yes, but um, you know, there's lots of ways to play a song, you know, wouldn't we want to be a little attuned to the vibe or to the instrumentation or something. So I just want people to understand what you're saying about song selection. Yeah. So in letting a song do the
2: work um, and to your question, Mickey, about vibe or kind of how does it, because what I hear in your question is, how do we allow the arrangements, the songs, the arrangements, and how we uh, kind of present them to the people for them to engage in, how do we allow those things to embody the the theme or the feel of the church year. And uh, when I say, let the song do the work to quote Andy, um, I'm thinking of like an O Come O Come Emmanuel, that is a minor key song. So in and of itself, the fact that that song is in a minor key, how many worship songs are in minor keys on a Sunday? None. Like we don't ever sing one in a minor. It might have a minor key part, but as far as the overall songs. So for me, Mm-hmm. That's where it's like, oh, the 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 congregation will feel that they're going right. to feel that kind of minor key uh, sense of it's going to stir longing or lament or just mm-hmm. oh a heaviness that's appropriate to the church here, mm-hmm. and then you add in the lyrics, you know, Oh come, Oh come, Emmanuel, and then that song goes to a major in the in the chorus, Rejoice, Rejoice, you know, it's like, oh, this is a this song is is telling us something very different from what we typically sing on a Sunday. And it's not a song that you're going to hear piped in at Home Depot or, you know, JCPenney or Starbucks. And so it's, it's for me, that's where allowing picking songs that will have the theological um, weight that they need to have and will have the... Um, I, one of my my things is just I, I love songs where the music matches the, the lyric, and so yeah. uh, mm-hmm. that that's a good one. All who hear by Young Oceans is another good one that yeah. has that kind of feel. So that's where I I don't want to have to sing a song and then have to preach a little sermonette explaining what right. it just did.
1: Mm-hmm. If
2: I I if I feel the need to do that, I probably pers- What I do is I go well. Is that song worth singing, mm-hmm. or is it is it worth singing but it is it's got a couple parts in there that need some unpacking because it's so foreign to perhaps our western modern ears mm-hmm. uh, for the most part though most songs if if they're written well and they're performed well and they're arranged well they will do the work of communicating a feeling a vibe as well as the theology um, that those feelings and vibes are, are, are trying to support. Uh, and of course, arrangement is important because if people aren't participating, then what's the point? We need you to sing. True. We need you to, even if you're not singing, close your eyes, think about what's happening. Right. Uh, we Engagement to me is, is, is one of the chief aims of corporate worship music.
0: So looking back, what are some of the things that you've tried that have worked well in your context as a worship leader or just as like a member of a church staff? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned morning prayer during Advent, Um, give us a couple of ideas, some things that have worked for you guys in the past. And I say that and I ask that because I'm thinking, you know, as one of the people that plan for these services and someone listening who is in charge of sort of fashioning or or thinking about what these seasons will look like for their church in particular.
2: Yeah. Like I said earlier, we're always kind of in like, hey, let's experiment with something here. Right, Um, right. Sundays are one of the things where we feel like, all right, we don't need to experiment anymore. Those feel pretty, <laughs> yeah. Um, and yet, um, I, the, the lighting of the candle, the Advent wreath, is, oh, is yeah. it's mm. simple, and yet it underscores. Um, it underscores the idea of it's, you know, darkness moving to light uh, with the the hope of the coming of Emmanuel. And so it's a simple act, and yet we call attention to it every uh, Sunday. We don't make the lighting one. of it part of our liturgy. You walk in and it's already lit, but um, Chris or whoever's preaching will always invariably call attention to it because right. that's what the season, uh, like, just commands of you of sorts. It's just like, oh. So what we do is we also encourage our people to do that at home. So oh, yeah. uh, it, last year we gathered. We I think that we bought them online a bunch of uh, <laughs> we bought a bunch of candles and and like candle holders and a, like a little guide to how to yeah. do, do this at home. And so uh, cool. one of the things that we do is um, try to resource our people, whether we actually give them the kit or sell them the kit or just give them instructions. Um, yeah. We want you to engage with this season at home as well. And so. Right. That's where uh, I believe young and old alike come in and go. Oh, there's that candle. We have one of those on our dining room table. Yeah, um, that's one of the things that I think people really engage with. Um, Advent morning prayer uh, has been something we've done for a few years. Literally, we just read through uh, the morning prayer mm-hmm. uh, and follow the texts for that day, and it's a Eucharist service. And there's usually about. Oh, uh, it, it it varies depending on the day, but it's it'll be on the winds the first it'll be on sorry not the first it'll be on the Wednesdays during that season. Okay, uh, it's seven a.m. and um, it'll be in our kind of chapel room, so it it feels a little more intimate. Mm-hmm. And again, we'll light the the wreath for that and have communion and. I believe last year was the first year we experimented with music. Normally we we would just read. uh, And we had uh, Sarah Anders, one of our uh, on-staff worship leaders. uh, She uh, really has a passion for it and said, I really want to lead some music for that. So she'll lead a couple of songs. She's fabulous. it, she's wonderful. And there'll she be, does. I believe, you know, we've had anywhere from 25 to 45 people, depending on what, cool. what, what day of the, uh, or rather what week it is in the year. So, right. um, so yeah, that's one of the things that's really good. Favorite service of the entire year besides um, Easter is our Christmas Eve service, which I know a lot of people yeah. do those. So, fun. so we do, we do three, uh, just because of the numbers we have to fit people in, but we'll do a three and a five, uh, that are candle lit, which are, you know, you bring your kids, there's no childcare. Yeah. It's a beautiful service because you get to worship with your kids. And then we do another one at 11 PM. And that one's my favorite because Ooh, cool. at, you know, at the strike of midnight, the service ends and we actually get to say Merry Christmas. And so there's yeah. this beautiful, and it really is a service of the light because it's actually dark and, mm. you know, we turn yeah. out the lights. <laughs> And we say we're going to sit in darkness for a moment, and then we light the Christ candle, and then you know we light everybody's candle, and it's just this beautiful thing, and you end with song and Merry Christmas. So it's a service of light that to me is my favorite. So those are those mm, are kind of the, those are kind of the the main kind of uh, meat and potatoes of our Advent season. Mm, beautiful. Beautiful. We have wonderful kids and youth leadership and, and pastors. They will be a um, Advent guide. Uh, for what yes. is age appropriate for kids. And then there'll be an Advent guide uh, for our youth. And uh, I believe there may even be an Advent guide for uh, adults this year as well. I'm not 100% sure, but we do the same thing through Lent. Uh, just because it is such a foreign, Lent and Advent in particular, right. they're so foreign to our culture if you weren't raised in this, that we really do need guides to help our people um, yeah. understand the value and the, and the yeah. beauty of the season. So,
1: yeah, great, thank you, Marty. So I'm thinking of that triangle again of sitting in between the lectionary uh, readings, our world with world wars and hurricanes and you know everything going on. Who knows what'll be going on in the next few weeks? As the Trinity staff is dreaming this year, what are you all hoping and praying for? for uh, Trinity during Advent this year?
2: That's a good question. I don't know if we've um, articulated it quite that way, but my my answer to that, basically saying that you might hear a different answer from, from a different staff member. <laughs> we promise not to have them on air. I <laughs> <laughs> know. No, uh, is uh, we have in the last year really refined What we believe are we're calling our core commitments, Mm -hmm. things that we are going to be, uh, we want to be held accountable to as a church, and so I believe as a whole, we all want um, our church to engage in those core commitments. And at the at the really at the base of it all is that Jesus is central, Mm
1: -hmm.
2: Um, and so He's constant. He is uh, our anchor, and so no matter what is happening in the world, Jesus is not attack on. He can't be uh, our faith cannot be attack on. And I believe COVID helped strip that from me personally, Mm. where it felt like part of my faith was perhaps just uh, culture as opposed to something that was Mm. central. And so Mm, I believe that uh, I can speak for all of us that our hope is that our faith becomes what it needs to be, which is actually central to the whole of our life. Uh, Which means we can then face the storms of our own lives and we can face the storms in the world around us knowing that there is um, a good and a powerful and a loving God who is Emmanuel. He is God with us through all of it and that we are safe in his kingdom. Mm, That would be hope. Amen. Yes. Amen.
0: Well, Marty, we'll we'll just ask you one more thing, and we like okay. to end things on sort of a fun and hopeful note here. Can you tell us about a cherished Advent memory for you personally or for your family? Any fun practices, any cherished mm-hmm. memories?
2: Yeah. Uh, the, when my kids were little, we, that's when we uh, started, my kids are pretty much all almost grown up now and out of the house. Practically. Um, we started doing Advent observation at home alongside us exploring and experimenting as a church. And I think it was more meaningful to my wife and I, we would start Aww. reading through these like devotionals that were, yeah. like, that followed along and told the story. And I just remember um after dinner, we'd light a candle. You know, kids are elementary school age and, you know, we'd take turns reading uh, the different readings. And I just, I have very fond memory of uh, one particular thing where um, my wife and I are just reading this with our kids, hoping they engage. I mean, just, yeah. if you're listening and you're a parent out there.
0: You do the best you can. You do the best.
2: <laughs> you can. And, you know, totally. you your table advent, it, it might <laughs> yeah. be chaos, and that's okay because, yeah. uh, remember, He is Emmanuel, God with us in yeah. chaos. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. I just remember reading some of those uh, stories and um, just weeping, oh, and cool. and the kids just looking at us like, "What's We're... wrong with Dad?" <laughs> yeah,
0: what's wrong? Yes. With...
2: I don't understand it, and I'm like, it's so
0: good. It's so good. Yeah. The kids are like, can I'm I have you.
2: candy? You know, yes. so yeah. right. can I go outside and play? Yes. So honestly, that is one of my most fond memories, though, because it's the, I don't, it's the juxtaposition of the the beauty and the epiphany of who God is in the season with the reality of the world and our humanity totally. right there present with us, and oh, so goodness. yeah. I, I will say that was the hardest part for my wife and I was going, how do you engage <laughs> with this, with these children who have no focus, can't sit still. Oh
1: you yeah. Know? Mm-hmm.
2: Um, so that's where the, 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 I will say if you're a parent, you're experimenting the, uh, the advent calendar with the candy is, is a great. And ah, like, yeah. Oh, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> True. And you can open the advent calendar and get your, Debbie still has one. Now it went from being the kids to hers. Oh. And you have to put special high end chocolate in it for her. Of course. <laughs>
2: well, See, my wife that.
1: my wife Jennifer is so um
2: ingenious and sensitive to the spirit, but she has a candy for each like reading. And so like
0: <laughs> brilliant. Amazing.
2: And yeah. my favorite one is the Tootsie Pop for the um the Annunciation. So it's just like, <laughs> oh, because there's like a there's like a little Tootsie baby inside the lollies. So that was to me one of my favorite things. uh, My wife puts so much thought into these things uh, and it's beautiful. So yeah. That's brilliant. Experiment. Have fun. And that was what happened for us as parents.
1: All right. Thank you, Marty. You are a treasured colleague uh, in ministry to both Mickey and I. And so great to have you as a leader in the C4SO family. Thanks for being with us today.
2: Of course, it's an honor and a privilege to to sit here and uh, yeah, I feel uh, like I'm in the uh, presence of of greatness. So thank you for the. Offer. I know Mickey's great. I agree. Oh no,
0: stop! You're you're the best. We're we're all just a really fun family. I feel like. <laughs> hey, well, the know. humility
1: is so strong. Here. I know. <laughs> or the faux humility. Oh wow. no! no. <laughs> uh, thanks so thank much, you, Marty. Marty. All thank right, you. thanks, Marty. Bye.
0: Thanks so much for tuning in to the C4SO podcast. If you like what you heard, please feel free to share this episode and subscribe and leave a review. It helps us to get the word out. Thanks.